My message today is left to the right position. And it might be a little bit confusing, but hopefully I will make it all sound or make it sound like it makes sense. But can you remember, for some of you this might this might be a long distance memory, or some for some of you might be a bit close. Can you remember when you first made a decision for Christ? Can you remember that time when you said, Yes, I'm gonna receive Jesus into my life. I'm gonna receive his actions for mine. I'm going to become a Christian. Um, for some of you, it might have been put up your hand, come down the front. For some other people, it might have been just a simple prayer. It might have happened in your own room, in your own house. It doesn't matter how it sort of necessarily happened. But do you remember the time it happened? I can remember those early days of my Christian walk. I had rededicated my life, trying with all my might to walk in the ways of God. My zeal was large, my hunger was huge, my ability was limited. His grace was unmeasurable and I was constantly falling short. And what it made it worse was my expectation on myself was extremely high. I had this expectation of here, I was probably reaching for, I was actually getting about here, and I was falling short. This is how I describe it. It was a zealous mess of chaotic order. And I was trying really hard. My zeal had, was huge, like I said before. And I'm trying, I'm, I should be doing this. I can't be doing that. I can't be doing this. shouldn't be doing this. And I was coming from a life of uh, selfishness and trying to do all the right things. But I was working in my strength and not his. And it was my ability, not his. And I was holding to my I was holding myself to his standard in my ability. And that's what we call an epic fail. When I hold myself to his standards in my ability. I was holding myself to a standard that I thought was his, or should I say, and I was attempting it in my strength. And I was worshipping from my strength, from my shortfallings, from my position. And it seemed like every week, perhaps every day, I was repenting and trying to make things right, and every day I was falling short, it was a perpetual cycle of failure. But I was stubborn. And I kept pushing. Now, stubbornness is actually, uh, can actually be a virtue. It's not always necessarily a bad thing. I kept pushing forward, determined to get it right. But I learned something in those early years. And I learnt the power of his strength over my ability. And I learnt that stubbornness can also be a strength. And when stubbornness is used in the right manner, it becomes tenacity. When it's used in our flesh, it's just straight out stubborn. And I learnt that my perspective of my starting position was wrong. See, when a sprinter, and I love watching the Olympics, the 100 metres, 
Nothing else really excites me. The 100 metres, it's the big one. And the finals, not the heats, they're boring. I want the finals. And when they line up, what is it, 10 of the fastest people in the world or 10 of the fastest people who haven't made a mistake in the heats, and they line up, and there's such a big hype about it, you know, the guys pump themselves up and they're, I don't know, they're wearing all these fancy shoes. Some of them have got sunglasses on. They get themselves in the block, set their feet. It's the most exciting race because it only goes for about 10 seconds. But everything is about putting themselves in the right position to get the right start. And if you watch them, those funny things where they put their feet in, they're called blocks, and they're adjustable. And each one of them positions them a certain way to put their legs, their feet, all in the special way to make sure that they get maximum launch out of those blocks. I mean, the race is, what, nine-something seconds. So you want to make sure that every second counts. You want to make sure that every movement of your leg counts. But it's all about getting that start position. Now, here's a question. Do we understand our starting position in Christ? Do we understand fully what Jesus did for us and where we actually start from where we actually receive him? See, in my race, when I started, I was struggling. Why? Because I wasn't set in my rightful position to run my race. And I was acting upon my ability or my own strength to run that race, to get that start. And I was failing because it's got nothing to do with actually my own strength. In Hebrews 12, 1-2 it says, Therefore, since we have such great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, what becomes interesting is God's grace is, is crazy. It is wild. And it's unmeasurable, and, and, and we don't fully grasp the fullness of it. Sorry. It's my left hand. And in those early years, it was God's grace that was covering me or working through me that allowed me to make the mistakes, but also to help pull me through. But sometimes what God wants us to do is actually begin to understand our rightful, our true starting position. See, what I needed firstly is I needed to understand my position in Him, who I was in Him. Some people call it, as it builds and develops, what becomes their identity. But understanding that simple thing that when I invite Jesus into my, his, my life, his actions on the cross cover mine. I become born again. Born again into what? The family of God. Right? Reborn. Not like 
what Deanna will see again. Her children will be birthed through her. In the same concept, we are birthed through Jesus Christ. And we become his child, his son or daughter, his. And his way always starts with surrender, the letting go of the wheel as such. Now in Ephesians 2, 1 to 6, and this is my crux of my message, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too are formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, being of his great love with which he loved us, even while, while we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now I want to draw your attention to two concepts in this. One is talking about our flesh. Talking about our sins. Talking about our transgressions. The fact that we were dead in our trespasses. I mean, our sin, this is where we are. This is our sinful nature. Our person before Christ. In this middle section is where we have this encounter with Christ. And this section over here is where we actually are. And the Bible makes it very clear that we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's not a place that we aim to. It's actually our starting point. Where we start, when we make a decision for Jesus Christ, where we become born again, where we receive his actions for mine, is I am seated with him in heavenly places. It's not a future tense, it's actually a past tense. Actually, when they go in and look at it, and when they study the words in the Judaism history, it's actually written in a past tense. Meaning, it's talking about the fact of our point of salvation, right? The point of point of Jesus dying on the cross, which is past, which has already taken place, is the point that we are seated in heavenly places. Now, this becomes a very interesting concept to try and receive. Because everything in us is talking about what I've done wrong, where I've been, how far I mess up, how far I can't get to where I want. And we look at this position or we look at our, our future and our, uh, a perspective of looking at perfection as going, that's my future. But this is where we get mixed up because it's actually your present. It's actually, technically, it's your past. You, are seat, you and I, we are seated in heavenly places. That means it's not a future tense. It's not what we go to. It's what we currently are in. The only problem is we see ourselves in one light and he sees us in another light. 
We see ourselves in this whole thing. I'm dead in my trespasses. I'm a failure. I keep falling down. I keep making myself, uh, keep making mistakes. I keep doing transgressions. I'm, oh, I'm so bad. And God's gone, what are you talking about? You're seated with me in heavenly places. It's not that you're going to be perfect. You are, not through your own actions, through mine. It's this position that we're in. And that begins to change our mentality once we've received it. Once we've actually gained the revelation that we are seated with him in heavenly places, then I begin to move forward. In order to receive anything from the Father, you need to learn how to surrender. I heard it like this. Imagine your life like a car. Some of you will get this real good. We need to get out of our car. We need to hand Jesus the keys. We need to climb in the boot and let Jesus drive. It's not a partial surrender, but it's a total surrender. It's our letting go that allows him to work. Sometimes God cannot move in a situation, not because he literally can't, but because we have our hands on the wheel. And we won't let go. And God won't force himself into position. He waits to be invited. It becomes about our perspective. It's like two people that have gone through two different situations. They look at something and go, no, no, that's that. And they're like, no, no, it's that. There's an old saying, there's their perspective, there's that other person's perspective, and then there's the truth. If I had a white shirt on, and based upon your perspective of what you had been on, you had different tinted glasses, you could swear that my white shirt was a different colour. And it's not until you remove the glasses that you can actually see what is actually truly there. Sometimes what's happened is we go through difficult situations that begin to infect, that's probably a good word, begin to infect the way that we see ourselves. And this is how the enemy works. Right? The enemy comes along and he goes, I know what's going on. I know God loves you. I know God has a plan for you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come along. I'm going to pretend to be your friend or bring someone along to be your friend. I'm going to break trust. And then you have, from that perspective or that position onwards, have this issue with trust. So when you come to know the Father or when you come to be a Christian, you are hamstring or handicapped because you're looking at it from a position of hurt. How can I trust a God when Jeff broke trust with me? How can I trust God wholly and solely? How can I surrender to God when this person broke my trust? How can I see myself in a heavenly place when I'm, oh, I'm doing so many things that are wrong? I'm stuffing up. My early days of Christianity, I was struggling. Like I'd get up and I'd be praying, I'd be reading. I mean, I'd, I'd cast demons out of myself every single day. Right? Oh, but what it came down to, seriously, what changed my life was revelation. And it was getting to position of understanding, I am seated with, heaven, with him in heavenly places. 
I am forgiven. I am set free. I am no longer bound to my sin. And what I'm actually doing, are you ready for this, is catching up with his revelation for me. I'm not pursuing something. I'm already there and I'm just changing this. But the problem is we, we live in this position. I'm so sinful and I've got to do this and I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And what we actually do is we negate the cross. We take the power of Jesus away. We take the power of the cross away because we're thinking it's all what I have to do. But it's not what I have to do. It's what I have to receive. And it's what I receive that actually begins to change me. And the more I receive, the more change that comes. This is why we're seated with heavenly places, because he knows. He knows how hard it is to do it in your own flesh. He knows how, how hard it is to do, do it myself. This is where worship comes in. Because worship is like surrender. Worship is those time that begins to soften my heart so I can receive what he wants to give me. And the challenge that begins to take place in my life is trying to let him into all areas of my life or let or receive all the areas of revelation that I need to. I'm playing catch up because he's already done it. That's why on the cross of Calvary when Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished. Done, dusted. And he hasn't even rose from the dead. That means the perfect Lamb of God had completed the work there and then. And what I am doing 2,000 years ago is catch up. I am catching up to where he already sees me. That becomes a very interesting conversation with yourself. That becomes a very interesting perspective to grasp hold of. How do I see myself in a future tense when it's already in the past of what he's already done? How do I receive how he actually views me? Not how I view myself. Because this is where our identity comes from. The problem is we're so fixed on taking our identity from what others say or what others have done to me, yet he's the only one who actually understands who you are. And we've got to come back to, what does he say that I am? We teach our kids. Drill it. Oh, this person said that. Is it true? No. Then why are you believing it? Who gave them authority to speak into your life? No one except you. Except you. Like we've been through some horrendous things. Why does it define me? Why does the fact that my right arm doesn't decide to work today? Why does that have to decide, decide who I am? Why does that decide who, what I do? You've been through hard times? You've been through a divorce? Yeah, okay. Great. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. Seriously. Because without it, I'm in trouble. Like none of us here in this room 
perhaps maybe Jason, are perfect, right? None of us. We've all fallen short. You start telling your story to the other person, like, oh, yeah, I can relate. I've done this and this and this. None of us are perfect. All of us need his grace. All of us. All of us are on the same road to discovering who we really are. All of us. Some of us might be on different paths, but we're all on the same path going in the same direction. We're all trying to work out how to navigate this earth, believing in him. There's, we all actually believe in him to a certain degree. We all believe that he is God, that he sent his son to die for me. But at what level is, is the difference? I mean, how many people have broken our trust in our lives that then begins to affect our trust with him? How many people carry around burdens of, of ish, oh, this is my cross to bear? Rubbish. Let it go. Why does it have to define you? But it's getting this perspective of who I really am. It's getting this perspective where I'm leaving what I think I am and I am standing or seated in a heavenly place. I am seated with him. I am, I am there by his grace, not by my actions, not by my actions, but, but by his. And it's not like, oh, well... You can only sit here in heavenly places if you fulfill this criteria this week. You've prayed this many times. You've read your Bible this many times. You've said this many things. You've done this many things. Yet, No. It doesn't say that. The scripture does not literally say that. I remember we were up in Can- I was lived up in Cairns for two years. And in the back of our school there was this cliff that went into the water. And uh, on occasions, there were people, not me of course, who would go down there at lunchtime. Um, I was always a good kid. Um, if you know anything about cans, it's just stinking hot. Um, yeah, it's sticky, isn't it? it's disgusting. Uh, we, we went moved up there um, they had 40 degree heat, not, I think it was 98% humidity. You sat under a fan and you just melted anyway. Um, it was disgusting. But we would, uh, my friends would go to this, this cliff. And it was about a 10 meter drop into the, this beautiful river. And I remember standing on the edge of the cliff. And there was this water moving. And it's reasonably deep. People jumped off before so it was deep enough. Had to jump in certain areas, so you, you know you're fine. And I remember standing there looking at it. Friends jumping off, splash, swim back up, go back up and do it again. And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about jumping off. And the harder I thought about it, the more I looked at it, the more I didn't jump. And I was sitting there looking over the edge, calculating the cost thinking about the worst thing that could happen. And the more I stood there looking at it, looking at the depth, looking at the height, looking at that way, looking at that way, the more I didn't jump. 
And I remember this one time we, we came to the cliff and I was like, I can't leave here not ever jumping. And so instead of coming to the edge and appearing over the edge, looking at the depth, the height, the width, I didn't go anywhere near the edge. I decided I was going to close my eyes and just run. <laughs> it probably looked hilarious to somebody else watching, maybe from the side. I'm so glad when I was a child, we didn't have YouTube and we didn't have cameras on our phones. Because <laughs> it probably would have, st- it would have been up on, on Instagram or whatever else was going around at that time. But I jumped. I landed in the water and I survived. But I learned something. It says sometimes the more we amanah, the more we stand on the edge looking over, appearing to see if it's safe enough to actually take the jump, the leap of faith, the more we hesitate, the more we don't. And sometimes what you really need to do is just you need to back up and just run. Fear is an interesting thing. It can be a tool our body uses to maintain our own safety or it can be a tool that incumbents us or stops us from actually moving into what we should. Fear of failure, fear of success. There's so many different fears that can be put down to what it actually is. Fear of opening up, fear of surrendering, fear of giving in to God. Fear of gaining the right perspective of who you are. Fear of stepping out. Fear of saying hello. Fear of getting involved. Fear of being seen as something that you didn't think you see yourself as. But you and I, regardless of whether you believe it or not, regardless of whether you understand it or not, we are all seated all seated in heavenly places with him. Not by our actions, but by his. But by grace. That's your starting point. And you can be seated in a, sta- in a, in a heavenly place trying to deal with all this muck, or you can learn just to let it go. You can learn just to surrender and say, God, I, I don't know what to do, but here I am. Here I am, God, and I surrender. And you may say, oh, what has this got to do with worship? Everything. Everything. Because worship is not just singing. Worship isn't just musical instruments. Worship isn't just the songs. Worship is here. Who am I worshipping? What am I giving to? What am I surrendering to? Someone who sees the very best. Someone who has put you in a position that you cannot earn. This is why when you read the Bible, it can be complexing. How can a God who loves me send his son to die for me? Because he knew the power of the cross. It wasn't just to buy your way into heaven. It was to put you in the right position so you were seated in heavenly places. 
And what a difference that comes down to is our perspective of our own reality. Do we see our past as stronger than we see his actions? Do we think our own sins are greater than the actions on the cross? Because when I come to worship, I worship him for what he's done. What he has given me has been way more than I could ever give him. Even if I was able to crucify my flesh 100% of the time, all the time, and do exactly what he, what he called me to do, it would never, ever, ever, ever cover what he's done for me. And so when I worship, I'm, I'm like, God, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. And I'm going to give you everything I have. And there are times at home when I'm by myself or when the kids are at home and or, or the family's at home and I'm just worshipping God. And I don't have to be singing and my kids are probably grateful that I'm not singing. I can just be God, God, I just, I'm so thankful. My heart is open and it is full. I'm thankful for what you've done for me. I thank you for where you've taken me. I thank you for how you see me. I thank you for, oh my gosh, you believe in me even before I ever did. You see my future even before I can even imagine it. Some of us are afraid to dream because we we think we're unworthy of it. If you were unworthy of it, he wouldn't have bothered at the cross. And the truth is, what God is doing in your life is to benefit the kingdom, not you. Because other people will come to know Jesus through you. Other people will be encouraged through you. Through what you do or what God does through you. And every time I get up, it's like, God, just do what you want to do today. Seriously. Move through us. And what stops God from going boom in this place is our apprehension. Our holding back. Oh, oh, that's a bit scary. Oh, I'm not ready for that. But it begins with the cross. It begins with what Jesus died on the cross for. So we could be seated with him in heavenly places. If you're far from him, if you don't know him, if you need to rededicate your life, make things right, then I want to meet you. And I'll be down the front. You can meet with me. And we'll go through the process and we'll walk through this process. But if you want, how do I put this? If you want the right perspective, if you want to see yourself as God sees you, then I invite you to stand. And we'll pray, because I'm standing. I want to see myself more as he sees me.
you want to understand that you are seated in heavenly places, that your starting position is, is way further along than what you think it is, I invite you to stand with us. There's no judgment. No one's looking around going, taking notes. My eyes to close because I don't need to know. Because this is between you and God. This is an invitation to say, God, I, I want more. I need you to work on my heart, to work in me, to work on my perspective. Father, have your way. Have your way on every person here. Open our hearts to see our true selves in you. Open our hearts to really know what you've done in our lives, what you can do and what you will do. Have your way. Soften our hearts. Remove the hurt. Remove the offense. Holy Spirit, have your way. Father, I thank you that we are seated with you in heavenly places. That we are sons and daughters. That you bought us at a cost. That you love us, that you have a grace for us that we will never comprehend fully. Father, I ask you to bless your people. Bless us all today. Grow us, develop us, use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Receive his love. Receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen.